Welcome to the Principles of Performance podcast, where we discuss how to optimize your health, fitness, and performance. Drawing on decades of experience of working as coaches, consultants, and trainers to top performers, athletes, and teens from professional sports to top universities to the U.S. military, Eric Degatti and Mike Perry discuss topics and strategies of how to perform at your highest level and be your very best. Join us and our friends and colleagues who are leaders in the fitness and performance industry as we investigate and challenge the most popular training, nutrition, lifestyle, and recovery protocols. And away we go. Here we are with the Principles of Performance podcast. This is episode number 41. I am your host, Eric Degatti, along with my co-host, Mike Perry. Mike, how are you today? Another day in paradise, buddy. You know, we've got a little bit of sunny weather up here in, uh, in Boston, so uh, I'm not going to complain because uh, even if I didn't, no one's going to listen anyway. So we're, uh, we're all good to go. <laughs> Good deal. So uh, we continue our streak. Another another week, another great guest. Uh, today we have someone I was I was fortunate to get connected with uh, by the name of Don Moxley, and Don is the director of uh, applied science and brand development at Longevity Labs. Uh, his careers range from everything from being an athlete to a sports scientist and an instructor, and he's regarded. Uh, as a regarded uh, longevity science leader known for making the complex simple. Hopefully we'll do that today for you. Uh, he's a former captain and Big Ten championship winner at Ohio State uh, University uh, with the wrestling team. And he served as their university's first sports scientist. And he's going to give us some cool stories about that. And uh, by giving the athletes the ability to track their progress in strength, cardio, resilience training, helped the wrestling team win a national title, three Big Ten championships. And he's helped athletes achieve two Olympic gold medals, four world championships, seven national championships, and 23 All-Americans. And uh, all that done with the Buckeyes. And so uh, very excited to, to, to bring Don on and talk about a, a topic that has um, become very somewhat in vogue in our industry, Mike, is heart rate variability or HRV. So want to mm -hmm. welcome Don Moxley to the show. Don, how are you? I am great. Thanks, fellas. I'm really excited to be here with you today. And it's, it's a very cool thing that, Mike, this is our first guest that is coming to us from a mobile trailer, but I'm not doing it justice, right? Don, tell me about how you live. Kind of go through that before we get started, because it's very interesting. Well, my, my wife and I live and we call it a coach. Um, it's a 42 foot uh, fifth wheel trailer, about 450 square feet when it spreads out. Um, my, my daughter, uh, who moved out a year ago, January 2nd, she was, uh, she was a lacrosse player at Ohio State. She got a coaching job up at Northwestern. And she moved out January 2nd and we'd lived in Ohio our whole life and we loved it. It was a great place to raise a family. But my wife and I both said, you know, we'd kind of like to drink our coffee in the morning looking at mountains, but we just didn't know where to live yet. So sold the house, bought the rig. Um, part of figuring out the rig was how do we do the fitness, wellness, biohacking stuff? What you'll see over my over my right shoulder here is my sauna. Over my left shoulder is my red light panel. We've got a Peloton bike. I've got rubber bands. I've got strength. I've got a Concept 2 a skier that goes on the outside. Um, so we've traveled 31 states now in the last year. 
Uh, right now, you're catching us outside of Dallas, Texas. Um, we're down here helping out one of my cousins, but uh, we'll be back in the mountains uh, in a couple of weeks and then start to work our way up the Pacific Northwest. So pretty cool. You know, I get to do these kinds of things with the company and whether I'm sitting in Ohio or sitting here in my rig somewhere else, you know, once I have internet connection, we're good. That is awesome. And, go. and now I got I to gotta convince my wife that we can get a sauna. She says, oh, we have no room in our basement. Well, if, if Don can fit it in, in his home, but we have room. Um, all right. So let's yeah. let's take it. You know, we're going to talk about uh, heart rate variability, HRV. And we're going to take a deep dive. So before we do that and get too far into the woods, can you give us just a simple definition of kind of what that is and why it's even important? Sure. Sure. So at, at, a, at a basic level, HRV, heart rate variability, is the measurement in the difference in times between heartbeats. So we're probably all aware of heart rate. Uh, this is something that we were taught to measure with two fingers on our carotid. Um, we then moved to heart rate monitors. And, and I learned about HRV first when I was working with Polar. Uh, almost 25, 30 years ago, I was working with Polar Electro. Um, and and they were introducing these technologies that were called own zone, own index, things like that. And when you looked into the technology, what they were using was this called HRV. Now, HRV was first identified as a key performance indicator by Russian cosmonauts. Uh, the Russians figured out that this is an indication of your stress system, that when your HRV is low, your sympathy, your autonomic nervous system, your automatic nervous system is in stress, fight or flight. It's called sympathetic. And that's when you get a low HRV. But when you're in recovery, when you're in parasympathetic control, when the vagal nerve is in control, you're high, you get a higher HRV. Uh, and that's, and that is, uh, that's the other side of it. So with the evolution of wearable technology, we now have access, you know, we, HRV used to be pretty hard to get, um, and you had to have a lot of technology. But now, you know, I'm I'm wearing three different devices on this one arm that measures HRV pretty accurately. Now, there's a lot of junk in the market too. There's a lot of stuff that says they measure HRV, but it's like getting on a scale and say you weigh between twenty and a thousand pounds. It gives you a number, but you can't trust it. Um, but there are good technologies out there that makes HRV approachable for everyone now. And um, it's just an, it's an amazing variable and we'll continue to talk about it, but at a simple level, that's what it is. It's an indication of stress and recovery. Very cool. So as far as measuring uh, heart rate variability, um, you know, there's clearly a bunch of uh, wearable, uh, wearable devices. I remember early on, um, I, I, I got one from a company based out of the UK called Ithlete, and they were one of the first yep. ones to really actually do uh, heart rate yep. variability. And me working with my my mixed martial artists and my fighters, that was something, um, you know, early on that was, uh, it was very new. It was pretty inconsistent, but I think it definitely set the tone for everything that came after. But what is, uh, as far as, you know, wearable devices, um, and, and look, if you can and cannot mention certain companies, I completely understand. Sure. But, um, you know, per your recommendations, what do you feel like are, what are the companies or maybe what are the gadgets that are doing the, uh, a good job? And, and what is the best protocol to getting repeat, repeatable and accurate data? So, okay, so the devices that I recommend right now um, Aura Ring is, if, if you're in sport, if you're, you've probably heard of Aura Ring. Very good device. Um, very good 
repeatability, reliability. Um, so the device is really solid. There's some data management issues with Aura that, you know, depending on where you're at on that. But if you just want to go out and grab a device and put on your finger, Aura is a good way to go. Now, I've started working with another device. It's called Cardio Mood, C-A-R-D-I-O-M-O-O-D, Cardio Mood. And Cardio Mood uses a Philips sensor. And it's, you know, one of the reasons I like Cardio Mood is that it will give you heart rate in real time as well as HRV overnight, which are the two that I really like. So, you know, when you're, if you're looking at a device, I think that's a great place to start. Um, again, there's a lot of, the, a lot of risk. It's really hard to measure HRV through the back of the wrist. Okay. That's a, that's a challenging thing. Cardio mood gets it done. Aura's measuring across the finger, which they have a very, I mean, they're very reliable, very repeatable. It's good. It's a good data set. Um, there are devices out there that use an EKG. So you're wearing like a polar heart rate monitor. It's, uh, you know, the, there's a there's a group uh, called Elite HRV that if you own a polar heart rate monitor, not all heart rate monitors will work. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But if you've got a polar heart rate monitor, like an H10, an H8 or an H10, and you connect it to your phone, there's a free app called Elite HRV that you can sit down and measure your HRV with. It's relatively inexpensive investment. Um, so if you're going to learn about this and start to get in, I really recommend that you start with something, lo lower your investment, get something you can play with. Again, most, listen, if you're coaching and I'm assuming most of the tribe we're talking to right now are coaching or leading and you don't have a heart rate transmitter, you're kidding yourself. You're leaving money on the table. That should be one of the first tools you purchase to work with athletes, but once you have that, you've got something that you can start to experiment with. Now, I'm not a real fan of chest-based, heart rate-based uh, measurement over a long period of time because, because there's, there's really three times that we measure HRV that really become valid. And, and if you're using a transmitter, that first time is probably first thing in the morning when you wake up. Listen, getting that transmitter wet and putting it on and doing a measurement first thing in the morning, it does not it does not scale well. Uh, people don't do it for a long time. But if you want to start if you want to start playing with it, that's a good place to start playing. Um, I prefer if you're really getting into HRV, um, I really like nighttime resting measurements. That's what Aura gets. That's what Cardio Mood gets. So we're seeing what your HRV is doing at night. So deep sleep, you're, you're late in your sleep cycle, right before you begin the awakening portion of your sleep cycle. And awakening comes with a cortisol dump. That when when you're when when that when that signal to wake begins, it starts by dumping cortisol, which lowers the HRV a little bit. Um, you you in the morning measurement, but a good long term nighttime measurement is a really good place to be. Now let me and so the third time to measure is right before practice. Okay, um, so there are there are uh, I'll tell you a really good company if you're looking at a team system. Uh, there's a company called First Beat. It's a Finnish company. Uh, they are purchased by Garmin. Um, First Beat is really good technology. I've used First Beat a lot. I love it. My daughter's using First Beat up at Northwestern now. So they have on their device, 
you put it on your team, you can lay them down, they do a quick recovery test. It's a little three to five minute test that you can do on a group basis. So here's, here's how I categorize those three measurements. I like nighttime readiness the best. It's the most expensive though, typically. The devices are in the $300 range. You need one per person and it's a challenge. You can go first thing in the morning. That's a good, that's really good. You're, it's, it's, it's not quite as good as that nighttime resting, but it's still very good. And you're looking at, have I recovered from the workload that I exposed myself in the recent past day or two? And then if we measure right before practice, I like to characterize that as, are these athletes ready for the training load I'm getting ready to drop on them? Um, and I can, I'll tell you a story about that as we work our way through this, but it's, you know, that's, you, you look at the data a little differently depending on when you measure, but those are really the three key times. And those, that's an example of technology that you use for any of those. All right. So I have a ton of questions just, you know, burbling in my head here. So, um, my personal journey with HRV is, it was probably about over 20 years ago. I had, a a colleague of mine introduced me to a doctor who was doing HRV. It was the early days of Omega Wave. Um, and he mm -hmm. tried to explain it to me. I'll be honest, Don, I was just too blunt to really understand what he was trying to explain in the, in the, in the impact of it. So it kind of sh shelved sure. it. And then years later, I came back uh, and started studying some of Joel Jameson's work and got really intrigued by it and then got his Morpheus strap. And that got me to be my own kind of guinea yep. pig where I've tried the Elite HRV, the Aura Ring, the Whoop, and I've tried all of them. All of them seem to have their pluses and minuses. Um, so a couple questions is one, I know that some of them, when you talk about the nighttime measurements, there was some flack given to like whoop or some of these other measurements where it's kind of a random timing of when they do it is it's pretty important that if you're going to be tracking this over a, a longer term, that you get consistency in whatever time frame you do it. Correct. Yeah, that's exactly it. So once you, once you decide what your, what your modality is going to be, you invest in that and you start to build up a data set. HRV as a single measure is, is, is questionable in its value. As you build data over time, either horizontally, individually, or if you're getting a vertical with a team set of data, like if I measure 30 people on my team once and I see an outlier, I've got an indicator there. If I measure someone over 30 days and I see a variability, I've got an indicator there. So you've got to, you've got to either see this data in the vertical depth or horizontal depth in the group. But yes, that's that's the important part. Consistency. That again, you know, when I was with Ohio State, we were using Omega Wave. That was one of the tools that we used. I was trying to get my athletes to do morning measurements. Um, you know what? Only my really high cognitive guys would get it done. They're the ones that really bought into it. And that was only three guys out of the 16 that we had in the in the HRV program. Um, all the rest of them, when they walked in the room they learned that I was going to meet them at the door, go lay down, put this on, let's get the measurement. And, and, and I really had to brute force this thing. Um, and again, it was early stage and we had to figure it out. Um, I, I believe uh, they are that program is moving more towards individual like aura ring measurement. I think um, I'm not that close to them anymore, but um, that would at, at any part, 
one of the last things I did before I left Ohio State was I budgeted Aura Rings into the budget um, because I thought it was a superior setup. Um, now, you know, how you manage your data becomes another issue. But yes, you're exactly right. Get a consistent process in place. Um, and as you work your way through that, and we'll talk about strategies about integrating this as a on a team, because I think it's a huge mistake to go invest six or eight or 10,000 bucks in, in team-based HRV measurement and try to put it on the whole team at one time. Huge mistake. Um, it, it, uh, it will overwhelm you. It will create problems. Um, but if you start with one person and start to build from there, then you start to be able to build it in your culture and understand what's going on. Now, speaking of inconsistency, the one thing I did learn in all my self-experimentation and where at one point, I think I was using Morpheus, uh, Aura and Whoop and kind of comparing them. Uh, and first of all, the scores don't jive, right? Because each has their own proprietary formulas, not only in the recovery score, but even in their HRV, where a 29 may be good on, on one system and where you know, you're looking at a 79 on another system. And then you'd also see days where I'd be wildly different in terms of what one would show being being good and the other one showing bad. So with that inconsistency, how do we kind of figure out like what is it? It's, it's not like heart rate or blood pressure and all those things where you can kind of say, well, this is what's good and this is what's normative. Like we have this gray area because of those different calculations of what actually a good HRV would be, correct? I'm going to say no to that. Okay. Um, good HRV is good HRV. And... And the numbers, again, if I trusted, I trusted my Omega Wave. We compared Omega Wave to Wired EKG. We compared other technologies to Wired EKG. There's a reason why I only mentioned the ones I mentioned, because those are the ones that hold up. Um, again, you can trust your aura ring based on our experience to be the equivalent of a Wired EKG. You can trust the polar unit transmitting to a phone using the right technology. One of the challenges is, guys, is that a lot of times companies, in order to get something to market, they put algorithms in that smooth the data. Okay, anytime that starts, you run into issues. Um, if they if they don't have a good collection method, if they either whether they're going through the back of the wrist or EKG or through the skin next to the ear or on the finger, there's a difference in the quality of signal. And there's a difference in the amount of buffering that needs to be done in order to get a signal. So that's why it's so important. Just because someone says they have HRV, again, it's like having a scale that says you weigh between 20 and 1,000 pounds. Um, yes, there, there's your weight, okay? Today, you're 40 pounds. The next week, you're 800 pounds. Um, it gave you a weight. It can average it. It can run statistical analysis on those, but the data is bullshit. Um, and that's the challenge with this. And sorry, if I, I use all the words. Um, I'll try not to use the really bad ones, um, but um, but sometimes it's just the right word, right? Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's the reason selecting the right system can be so critical. Before I move on, Eric, anything you want to say? I was just because I know you. This is your this is your wheelhouse, Eric. So I just wanted to make sure. No, no, and that that was really kind of my question. Is 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 was like. The confusion, if I'm confused, I'm, I'm assuming the layperson's confused when they, if they're talking over lunch and say, okay, well, what's your HRV? Well, my aura ring says I'm a 29. 
And they said, well, wait, I use Morpheus as I'm a 79. I don't, I don't understand what you like. I wouldn't expect, I wouldn't yeah. expect that differentiation between Morpheus and Aura. Joel's, Joel's a friend yeah. of mine. Joel is an OG in the space. He's got good tech. And again, Elite HRV, uh, Jason Moore and the guy, they've, they've rebranded. I think it's called Spreen now is, is what they've called their technology now. These, they're, they've huge data sets. They know what's going on. And um, so I, I wouldn't expect that difference between Aura and Morpheus. I wouldn't expect that difference between Aura and Elite HRV, only in the fact that both Morpheus and Elite HRV are doing the morning measurement where Aura is pulling down the nighttime measurement. So there will be a differentiation there based on when the measurement's done. And this is, and this is the challenge, you know, if you're working with a team and all of a sudden you have someone come in and they're an outlier on the team, you lay them down, you got a first beat system, you do a QRT and someone's deviated out. You got to ask the question, Hey, did you know what? If they failed an exam right before practice and their eligibility is in question, their HRV is going to suck. If they had a fight with their mate, if they had an accident in their car, you know, anything, if, you know, listen, this system's designed to deal with interactions that cause, I mean, if you're walking to school and you run into a mountain lion, your HRV is going to drop because your brain is going to say, you need resources to get the hell out of here. So the question is, what is the paper mountain lion? Is it an exam? Is it a relationship? Is it you know, did something like that happen? If it did, and all this, if that's the case, everything will return to normal over time and you'll see that as a spike. Um, here's one of the observations we made as a team. So the, the third year I was working with the wrestling program, um, we'd sent the guys home for, for Christmas break. So we, you start in the fall, you begin, we start to collect data, they start wrestling. We go through weight cutting season that November December is kind of like when you're cutting down, getting to weight, wrestling tournaments. And then the beginning of January was when we go into big tens, when you've got to really be on. Now you send the team home for holidays. They come back usually right before the first of the year. And we've got about a six day training block that we can really go deep. It's the last training block opportunity that we have before we're in season and it's, you know, match recovery, match recovery kind of stuff. Well, we have a workout plan for these guys when they come back the first day to just bury them. Okay. I've got a six day window that I can put a shitload of training into. I can, I can really, and then recover them before the first dual meet. Well, they come back and we measure before practice. We got the worst HRV measurements of the entire year. The day they came back from Christmas vacation. what did we learn? Family stress is the worst stress. Um, we had to give, and and if we had buried these guys on day one, we would have never caught up. Okay, it would have, it would, you know, we we would have never run back. So I went, I immediately went to the coach because I was expecting the best measurements that we had all year. It was the, the worst. I went to the coach. I said, we got to change practice. We got to drill. Let's do zone two stuff. Let's do a lot of drilling. Let's give them a night to sleep in their own beds. They come back, they come back the next day, boom, all the numbers are sky high. So I got five days of a deep training block instead of six. But if I had to use the six, I would have broken guys and we would have never gotten them back by, by nationals. So family stress, what did we learn? Family stress is the worst stress. Um, and helping individuals manage that is uh, is one of the things that we learn over time.
Very cool. So in an ideal world, uh, what should our HRV scores look like from day to day um, when you're factoring in, you know, recovery and training, not like the average individual. And then the second part of that is, um, you know, in an ideal week, what should the scores look like? Like what should the trends look like within that week? So I'm going to change the time frame up here a little bit. So I like to do event oriented training. Okay. I think it's a huge mistake to wake up in the morning, look at your HRV and say, this is what I'm going to do today. That's a mistake. Okay. The, the objective is to train for a goal. You have an event, there is a match, there's a game, there's something coming up that I want to be, I want to peak for. Um, and 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 listen, there's enough people listening to this that knows you only get one or two good peaks a year. Now, I may bring it back a little bit, but I, listen, when I was an athlete, I trained straight through my matches because uh, I was a pinner. A lot of my matches were less than two minutes long. I wasn't willing to give up a training day for a 30-second match that night. Um, so I would go ahead and do a full training. I'd, I'd have full training in. And again, in wrestling, as long as you got to, re I was a heavyweight, I wasn't cutting weight. As long as you got the resources on board, you're okay. Now, I would rarely do, you know, a really hard lift, you know, a long, hard lift where I'm draining myself, but I would still do a lift that day that was just neuromuscular oriented. I'd go in, pop, really get the neuromuscular triggering going on um, so that I could recover from that for the match that night. Now, I might not have been 100% but I was still in a pretty good place now. So keeping that in mind, set your goal, build a program that reaches towards that goal. That program is going to have undulations where you expect to drop and where you expect to peak, drop and a peak, drop and a peak. Um, when you, when you, when you begin to deviate from that, then you start to ask the question, do I need to fix training load? Do I need to fix recovery? What do I need to fix here? So, I'm, I'm going to go back and I, sorry for avoiding your question, but this is, I think this is an important concept to really get on board. You want your numbers to improve. That's, that's what you're looking for. I want my numbers. If I'm doing a big training block, I expect my numbers to bottom out. I expect to, and, and if I'm doing a big training block and my numbers aren't dropping, turn the volume up on the training block. I mean, you can go harder. That's, and I went to the coach several times and said, listen, you've got some bandwidth to work here. We can, we can go a little bit harder. Every time I did that, the coach said, nope, we've got what we need. Let's go ahead and bring them back. So to answer your question, you're looking for that cycle, whether it's circadian rhythm or training cycle, or, you know, we all have cycles that we deal with. That's the human animal. Um, we expect to see that, but we expect to see it trending towards a goal. If your goal is to ride your bike 100 miles some weekend, or if your goal is to win an event, you want that cycle moving and moving that direction. It's very individual. Now, let me throw in one important point that we picked up over the years, guys. Trauma is trauma affects your endocannabinoid system, affects your autonomic system. So if I'm born in a rattlesnake pit, the only way I survive is through hypervigilance. Okay, I have to have vigilance to be able to stay away from the rattlesnakes. Now, if I take someone out of the rattlesnake pit and I put them in a house full of bunny rabbits, the vigilance doesn't go away. The hypervigilance is still there, even living with bunnies. So, so you have to learn to recognize an athlete 
coming from the 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 same the, some kind of a household, an abusive household, poverty, things like that, may have different HRV profiles than someone who comes from a a a, a more normalized household. So trauma, this is one of the things we really learned and picked up on. Trauma can affect, and you guys have probably seen this. You know, I saw this when I listen. I wrestled at Ohio State in the early '80s. If you follow the news at all right now, you'll know that we had a team doc that was molesting athletes back then. Now, what was interesting back then was we would have these amazing wrestlers come into our room and they would just disappear for some reason. No one knew why. Well, it turns out we had a team doctor that was doing some stuff he shouldn't be doing. And we had some athletes that were not going to deal with it. Okay, they were out and I, and whether they came in with some previous trauma that this just triggered and they went away, who knows, but this is part of being a coach and identifying when someone is a maladapter. This is a term I don't use over training anymore. The term I use is someone's either adapting to my training or they're maladapting to my training. If they're adapting to my training, my KPIs are improving. Power thresholds improving, max strength is improving, power is improving. Those things are improving, and I've got tests along the way to see this. HRV is coming along with that. If they are maladapting, I may be stale or going backwards in my KPIs. My HRV is declining. Sleep quality is declining. Qualities of life are declining. That's maladaption. Um, so every athlete is not the same. We may be born the same, but our central nervous system adjusts over time based on our experiences. And again, some people have to deal with really bad experiences. This creates this, there's part of your brain that's called the amygdala. It's the fear sensing part of your brain. There's a drop in there of a molecule that's called anandamide. Anandamide is called the Zen molecule. When we're exercising, we're creating anandamide. So it's what creates the runner's high. It's where this comes from. It's called an endocannabinoid. We named it after cannabis. It looks like a cannabis molecule. But what we know in fear-conditioned animals, dogs and mice, if we fear-condition them, there's a natural drop of anandamide in the amygdala. This is what drives the hypervigilance. This is what drives the survival instinct. When that drops, it doesn't respond. It doesn't come back. You have to supplement it exogenously in order to support that system in order to get these HRV kind of things back. Does that make sense? That's a lot to digest, but yes, it does. And so- Yeah, I was gonna say, more. it's like drinking from a fire hose. Hey everybody, a quick break in the action here. Hope you're enjoying the show and we appreciate you listening. We're working hard to bring you the highest quality content and best guests every single week. So if you could do us a big favor and go and like and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts on, it would be greatly appreciated. Be sure to listen at the end of the show also to find out where you can find out more information about our courses, as well as a special discount code for all our listeners. Thanks again, and let's get back to the show. So um, one of the things that I always found uh, with, with a lot of value with HRV and, and, and some of the, the wearables is that it creates greater awareness and, and making connections on what I call the 23-hour factors. If I have an athlete that if, even if they get you know, a low bar you know, uh, for entry where they strap on a whoop strap or whatever, 
And they start to recognize that, wow, I didn't realize I had a couple of drinks last night. And now I see my scores are significantly <laughs> affected. And like not, they wouldn't think twice about that earlier, but now they're starting to see that and maybe they make some different choices. So if we could talk a little bit about some of the things, obviously you've talked a lot about psychological stress and how that can impact things. But if you could talk about how sleep, alcohol, even types of training that could either drive up your scores or drive down your scores, kind of talk about what are some actionable steps, you know, uh, that we can do to improve our yeah. scores. Alcohol is funny because we were using, so first beat has a system It's called a bodyguard. So it's a, it's a, it's a, a halter monitor that I can put on an athlete for 24, 48 hours. I can put it on for a long time and it was small enough that I could put it on tape it down and my guys could wrestle in it. But we did a little run with this where we, we measured HRV on an athlete that had four beers before they went to bed. When you look at the sleep profile, alcohol is a sympathetic stressor. It Your system upregulates sympathetic activity. It cuts the sleep quality in half. So while you may be in bed asleep for eight hours, you're only getting four hours of quality recovery because of now alcohol will make you drowsy it'll make you sleepy it does not improve recovery it does not improve sleep um so this was one of the things we picked up along and you know what it's a great fellas when i was in school back in the early 80s we enjoyed ourselves probably a little too much but here's what i knew is I could go to practice, I could go to study table, I could get my grades, I could be successful as an athlete, and I could have a very healthy social life. A social life to the point that when I showed up for a six o'clock practice, I may still be drunk, but I could get through that practice. And we always measured our success. Not going to get through the practice, I might do better than most of the team. Okay, that's what comes with being a DC. But it was not moving the need. What I know now by understanding HRV, I left money on the table as an athlete um, because I did not embrace recovery. And again, you know, I'm not saying don't be social. I'm saying be careful about the exogenous ligands you bring in, you, what you bring into your body. Um, and alcohol, there is very little value that comes from the use of alcohol, if any. Um, and it distracts. And again, so we can show this. We can show this metabolically using HRV. Another funny HRV story is um, when I was doing my long studies, we we're measuring guys overnight. And I noticed some guys would drop into a deep sleep right away. Whereas some guys were staying up four or five hours before they really dropped into the deep sleep. Well, when we went back and looked, those people were sleeping with their mates. Okay. So you've got someone who's hormonally optimized for reproduction. I mean, 18 to 22, that's when everything is like, okay, let's make babies. And if you're in bed with a mate and that mate rustles, the subconscious is like, hey, why don't you get on that? Um, so literally, I had to have a discussion with my athletes. Listen, I don't care what you do with your girlfriends. I am not judging here. But whatever you do, I want you to get it done. And I want you to go sleep in your own bed. Um, so, and <laughs> it, it made a difference. Um, and again, it's when funny. you're optimizing, you, you get married 25 years, your mate Russell's is like, can't you go sleep someplace else? <laughs> I'm going to go sleep. I'm trying to sleep. Um, yeah. Well, we could listen, there's a term for that now. They call it sleep divorce. 
Okay. So one of the things that people are learning along the way is that, you know what? It doesn't hurt my marriage if I go sleep in another bed and I make sure my wife and I get great sleep. Um, and once you figure out that bedroom routine, now my wife and I, we don't have the ability to do that, but I'll tell you, we have a, we have a sleep number bed that is, that is, uh, so there's two mattresses that adjust independently, but we use a separate set of sheets and blankets on each side of the bed so that when I turn over, it doesn't disturb her. When she does something, it doesn't disturb me. So we've created a binary or a bilateral a sleeping environment in the same bedroom now, but this is where sleep divorce comes from and that recovery, it makes a huge difference. So it's funny you talk about alcohol. One of the things I always teach my athletes when they get that, that realization of the impact that it has. And I said, listen, there's one thing you're never going to hear your entire life. Listen, someone's going to come up to you and say, wow, you look great, man. You've been drinking. Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, uh, talk a little bit about what we can do because there's there's some debate out there in terms of the the term active recovery, right? And and I know for myself that if my if I have low recovery, that if I go and do whether it's a walk, whether it's zone two work, whether it's even some breathing, that I can drive that back up. Um, talk about what we can do if you we sure do can. have a low recovery store. Tell me about some of the the active means that that we found that can help boost that back up. So so one of the key elements that drive HRV, let's talk about that for a second. So the more fit that I am, the more space I have between heartbeats. So we know one of the benefits of training and improvement is I see a drop in my resting heart rate. So there's more time between beats. If I have more time between beats, I have more opportunity for a variation when that beat happens. So, so improved cardiovascular fitness is one of the things that leads to improve HRV. Um, recovery, so improved sleep leads to improve HRV. Now, let's talk about the things that will distract. So as athletes, a lot of times, we don't feel like we're training unless we feel it, okay? It's that thing that I'm going hard, it's causing a dopamine release, I'm going, you know, the problem is, is and, and I'm talking when I talk heart rate zones, I'm talking on a five zone system. So where the top of zone three is purely still purely aerobic, we've maxed that out. When I start to go zone, start to create anaerobic energy to the point that I'm I'm lactate. Okay, so that's what I want to refer to. So when I when I accumulate lactate. The body says, ah, something's going on. You're challenging yourself. You need more resources. Here's some cortisol. Um, when the body dumps some cortisol in there, it's going to lower HRV. So a lot of times when we used to go run, we would run till we felt it. And, you know, I learned this about 20 years ago. I went to a, um, when I left wrestling, I went into cycling. I'd had five knee surgeries by the time I was done wrestling and, um, I started riding bicycles as my conditioning phase. And I wound up going out to Chris Carmichael. Uh, Chris was Lance Armstrong's coach. So I went out to his school out in Colorado Springs to learn what they were doing. And you learned what this zone two, three training was. And, and again, part of your training needs to not create cortisol. Okay. I can train as much as I want with as long as I don't produce cortisol. So zone two, three training, this is, this is 
what was the term we used on that again, Eric? Um, recovery training or what? I, I, I just drew a blank on that. Act, active, active recovery. recovery. Active recovery. Yeah. Zone two work would be active recovery. It's training. I'm triggering the enzymatic production of things that metabolize fats. I'm driving mitochondrial development. I'm doing that. And in fact, so as you get older, a lot of my work right now is done in longevity. So I'm not working necessarily in athletics as much. In athletes, I bring people up into zone three and train them there. We did this with the wrestling program and it was very impactful. So I tell people I'd rather have you training five beats below your target heart rate of where that zone three, four is rather than one beat over. That's kind of gives you a reflection on because I want, I want cortisol at, at no expense on that particular workout. With wrestling, we do a thing called drilling. We go in and good wrestlers drill a lot. When you're drilling, it's usually a very chatty environment. Um, you don't chat in zone four, okay? You stop talking in zone four. So when your team, when all of a sudden you're out doing it, you're going hard enough that the chatting stops, you've probably crossed over. So, so you can you can active recovery drilling. And build sports skills. I mean, wiring in those those uh, motor patterns is critical. <clears throat> and great athletes drill. Great athletes drill in all sports. You know, my nephew is a professional football player. He's a receiver. He catches 200 passes a day from a jugs gun. Okay? That's drilling for a receiver. Okay? Um, so, so having this drilling aspect, that's active recovery. Getting on, I like bikes better than I like walking or running. Um, remember your entire central nerve, your entire nervous system is carried through the fascia of your body. Every time you have a foot strike walking or running, you're, you're, you're rattling the fascia. You're paying a price. When I'm on a bike, it's nice, smooth. I'm not, I'm not triggering my fascia. I can get this zone two, zone three work in, have a heart rate monitor on, be aware of respiration, what's going on. So you can target that, 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 um, you target that target heart rate correctly, but I absolutely believe in recovery, I, but I call it zone two cardiovascular work. We did work with my wrestling program and Eric, I'll send you a link to a, um, a talk I did to the U S special operations command on our program at Ohio state. And what we did the, the, the third year I was there, we measured three and a half million data points on a wrestling team. So heart rate, heart rate variability, we measured everything. And we looked at, okay, what correlates to success? And from a strength coach standpoint, I think this is something most strength coaches could benefit from. And what we did was I took my room and I broke them into three groups. I had guys that had, are all American or better. There were nine guys in that group. I had guys that had started for us, but never made all American. So they'd worn the singlet, and but never made all American. And then I'd never worn the singlet. All three of those groups trained together day in, day out, okay? We wanted to figure out what's selected for, you know, what makes a great athlete. Everybody thinks wrestling is a cardiovascular, is an uh, anaerobic sport. Um, it's a hard sport. You go hard and, you know, MMA. What was the number one selector for someone moving across all those categories? Cardiovascular fitness. The guys with the highest VO2s moved up the most. It's not VO2 necessarily like a marathoner, but in a wrestling match or in an MMA event or in, in these short combat sports, 
your ability to recover between flurries is a key performance indicator. And VO2 drives that. Your ability to clear lactate, your ability to respond with, with ATP production, with phosphocreatine re regeneration, this is what goes on during recovery. And this is what's selected. What drives VO2? Zone three work. Um, it's not zone four. It's And it's intervals are okay, but most people push it too hard. But zone three work is work you can do every day. Okay. If you feel like you need to do more and if, if you feel, if your HRVs are low, then do zone two. Um, but you can drive mitochondrial development. You drive enzymatic development. You can do all that in that space without paying the price of cortisol or that shock to the fascia that you get with like a running program. That is, uh, I love it. I love how you, you were able to distribute the group and a lot of the stuff that you're talking about. I work with a lot of professional fighters and, and, and most of them have a wrestling background. So when you talk about drilling and et cetera, um, I can absolutely relate. So uh, shifting gears a little bit though, um, longevity. I mean, you do a lot of longevity and we've talked about HRV and uh, we, you know, the, the, the individual that has been in the industry for a while that has some sort of idea, they would absolutely say, well, look, I imagine having a higher HRV is better for, for longevity. But um, have you seen anything that's been maybe potentially surprising other than the fact that, yes, we know that if you have a higher HRV, that's a good thing. But have you seen anything else um, in regards to your work and, and how potentially looking at that information can give us more insight on you know how to live longer and healthier lives? Yeah, so we, we change our perspective a little bit when we shift from like athletic performance to longevity. So listen, longevity is figuring out what's going to kill you and avoiding it, right? That's how you live longer. You figure out what's going to kill you and you miss it. So once you move through your middle life, uh, 20s, listen, the thing that'll kill you as a child is probably a genetic disease of some kind. That's the worst. When you move into when you move into late childhood, early adulthood. You got to do the things that your mom tells you to do, wear your seatbelt, wear a helmet, because it's some kind of an accident that's going to take you out in, in, in middle age. Um, as you start to get older, as we finish raising our children, we're in the end and we start to transition into what I call the third third of life. I break life into three parts. I spend my first third learning. I spend my second third in service to others. And I spend my third third is my third. That's long, That's when I'm not. I'm doing what I want to do. So once you move into third, third, the things that will take you out when you look at it are typically inflammatory related diseases, cancers, um, uh, uh, depressed immune system, cardiovascular disease, uh, neurological disease. Those are the biggies. Those are all inflammatory related. So there is a term, if you don't understand it yet, that is in longevity that this is the number one thing associated with improved longevity. And that is a term called autophagy, which is in an internal cellular cleaning process. As coaches, we're usually working with kids who are trying to get bigger. So, so they're telling them to eat every two hours and that's driving a process in the cell that's called mTOR. This is a protein that senses nutrients and drives protein development. Well, that's good when you're young, but as you get older, not all the proteins you make are good proteins. Um, we can we can tolerate this in youth. We cannot tolerate this in adulthood. So we've got to clean those proteins out. And we do that with this thing called autophagy. If you've ever heard of fasting, fasting is a process of limiting nutrient intake 
the cell recognizes, hey, there's a drop in nutrients available. I'm going to go into the cell and I'm going to clean up the crap that's in there. I'm going to clean up the proteins and the organelles and the things that are no longer valuable. So autophagy is critical. Now, I work for a company called Longevity Labs. One of our products is called Spermidine Life. Um, spermidine is a molecule in every cell of your body, men, women, plants, and animals. Uh, it's typically food derived later in life. And, and what we have found is spermidine is a key driver in the autophagy process. As spermidine levels drop, autophagy levels drop. As spermidine levels increase, autophagy levels increase. So this winds up being an important part of longevity, perhaps one of the most important parts in preventing the onset of age-related diseases, again, cardiovascular disease, cancers, neurological disease, immune deficiencies, things like that. So to go back and answer your question, when you start to move into longevity, you have to pay attention to autophagy. By the way, um, cardiovascular exercise drives autophagy. Um, heat in a sauna drives autophagy. Fasting drives autophagy. It is a preserved process that, that, that a lot of the things that we do, um, and again, there's a reason why over my right-hand shoulder, I live in an RV, there's a reason why there's a sauna in my rig, because sauna is a big part of what I do. There's a value to zone two work, because zone two works through another pathway in the cell called AMPK. It's, it's a pathway we trigger as athletes. It's an energy-deriving pathway, but when we're burning energy, the body is saying, hey, don't make proteins while we're burning energy. So it flips that cycle. And we've been talking about rhythms all day, right? Um, so that protein development versus autophagy rhythm is really important. When you're young, you can go straight protein. Development. I mean, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that autophagy is a critical thing as a kid. But as you get older, as you reach middle age, as you, as you establish a 401k, and you begin to invest financially in your future, you should begin to invest metabolically in your future as well. So now let me go back and talk about HRV and longevity. Um, I, do you guys play video games? Not since Atari. Mike, Mike. Okay. I'm dating myself. <laughs> There's a lot of people out there playing video games and you've got a character and your character, when it's battery runs out, you lose your character. Life is over, right? Well, I believe HRV is the battery indicator in life, okay? The higher the HRV, the fuller my battery, the more ability I have to recover to stress. But listen, we know that when HRV goes to zero, you're dead, okay? Right before, you know, there's a lot of people that have these implantable um, uh, e uh, uh, electro-stim devices for AFib or things like that. You go into the emergency room, if you've got one of the first thing the ER doc does is interrogates that to see what your HRV is. When it's down to three, four milliseconds, okay, things are touchy. Your battery is really, really low. Um, so this is where HRV kind of becomes a nice little tool, both in performance and in longevity. Listen, if you're doing things that's draining the battery, you got to think about that and start to invest in things that fill the battery. And so I think this is where HRV comes into play, both in performance and longevity. Wow. So, you know, Mike, every time we do this, we see how much we could pack in 60 minutes. And I think Don's got the record right now. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I believe so. He, 
He packed 90. He packed 90 into 60. I don't even know you could do that. <laughs> I can't wait to go back and edit this so I can listen to it, you know, three times over. But uh, before be, before right. we wrap things up, um, I, I I know you have some cool stuff that you're working on, Don, and that's actually in full disclosure how we first connected is you know in following your work. Mm -hmm. I saw you put something out there that hey, we're looking for anybody who's looking to to kind of self experiment with something that you're working on, and uh, uh, tell us a little bit about that. I um uh, one of the uh, people that that's trying this thing out and, and I'm just getting kind of started with it, but you kind of explain exactly what you got going on and, and, and the projects that you're doing. So part of the journey I've been on, you know, I was at Ohio state and learned a ton about HRV and performance. Um, listen, I'm one of these people that believes the universe puts you in a place for a time. And then when you're done, it rattles your tree and says, there's a new place for you. And while I was there, um, I was getting inquiries from the cannabis space. Um, and a good friend of mine who worked that I worked with with a HRV wearable company in New Mexico had gone up into cannabis in Oregon was asking me questions. I'm checking on this. I'm like, okay, there's something there, but I don't know what it is. And he calls me one day and he says, Hey, do you want to work in cannabis? And by this time, listen, the, the indications were like, okay, this is powerful. You need to understand this. So I, I took a job. I left Ohio state to go work in Florida in the licensed cannabis business, I tell people I went down and started to sell weed in South Florida. Um, and, but what it really was, was a deep dive into understanding a new, a part of my body that I didn't know about. So we talked earlier in the podcast about the endocannabinoid system, part of your central nervous system that's named after cannabis, that's critical in the recovery uh, space. I didn't know about this. I've taught, I've taught university for 30 years. And I did not know about the endocannabinoid system. Frankly, I think understanding the endocannabinoid system and anandamide and the other endocannabinoids should be chapter two of exercise 101. It's the benefit. It's one of the exercise. So I didn't know about it until I dove into the deep end of the pot pool, started to learn about cannabinoids, the other molecules that may not, the, there's molecules in there that don't make you high, that don't change your psychological status. There are what's called terpenes. These are plant molecules that affect this, that directly affect endocannabinoid system status. So as I started to play with this and experiment, my company came to me and said, hey, do you think you can make a supplement? I said, I've already done it. My apartment, my wife was still living in Ohio with our daughter. I was living in Florida in Palm Beach. My kitchen looked like Breaking Bad. I mean, I was figuring things out. I had scales and everything else going, trying to understand what's going on with this stuff. Um, but we came up with this formulation that um, it is a combination of CBD, which a lot of people have heard of that I think is a little overrated. But CBDA, the molecule that comes out of the plant, is really effective. And we, we bump it with another called a dietary cannabinoid called beta-caryophylline. Um, these are these all land on receptors that either alleviate pain, cause a, a Zen response, lower anxiety, contribute to improved HRV and recovery. So all these molecules do this. And we put this in a omega-3 fish oil. The number one driver of poor HRV is inflammation. We know that. So when they interrogate that when they interrogate that pacemaker in the emergency room, the thing that's probably driving the low HRV is systematic inflammation. 
And one of the things we struggle with is we apply a load, we don't recover, we get an inflammatory response. By the way, autophagy, as autophagy goes up, inflammation goes down. As inflammation goes up, you got low autophagy. So anytime you have an inflammatory response, omega-3 fats are important. Now, there's another product that I learned about from some uh, Naval Special Operator guys. It's called a Specialized Pro-Resolving Mediator, SPM. You can buy these on Amazon, okay? this These are biologically available omega-3s that alleviate the inflammatory cycle. We've put uh, uh, M, uh, SPMs in this as well. So we've got this kind of an inflammatory sledgehammer that's feeding and optimizing the endocannabinoid system, balancing our omega-3s, making sure we've got, the, but also putting the SPMs in there to go ahead and finish out that inflammatory cycle. Um, uh, Eric, the study that you're in, we're seeing great response on this. We're running a wearable-based device uh, study, across, doing a pilot study. I'm very happy with the response we're getting. People are raving. Listen, you can't fix HRV unless you fix sleep, period, end of story. In the absence of sleep, nothing gets better. Um, so we've got people raving about the sleep. The, the thing that makes me happiest is I have people sending me notes about how they're no longer taking other drugs, whether it be Ambien or, or things to help sleep. Again, it's all natural stuff targeted towards endocannabinoid system status and improving the improving the inflammatory cycle. The inflammatory cycle's health, I mean, it's important. Without inflammation, we'd all be dead from a biological infection. Okay, so we need it, but we've got to resolve it. And when we have this continued stress, paper lions instead of real lions, that's we have an inflammatory response. So this is where, and this is why you should eat omega-3s. Uh, we've just taken it all and put it into a single. You can find it at modemethod.com. Mode Method, the, the brand we call it is Mode Method. Modemethod.com. It's HRV Plus. Uh, and if you have questions, if you buy the product, you usually get an email or a week or two in uh, to have a phone call with me. So you schedule a call. I Before we started this, I had a call with someone down in Tampa, Florida, and I think I got three more calls today looking at this. So if you have questions, um, you can feel free to reach out. And uh, if you have HRV questions, team questions, things like that, I'm available on social media. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn at Don Moxley, Instagram at Don Moxley, Facebook at Don Moxley, Twitter at Don Moxley. Um, uh, you can find me there and um, let me know if you have questions because I love talking about this stuff. Well, that is that is obvious. And, and we appreciate your passion and everything you've given us today. This is unbelievably valuable. And, and we were definitely going to share all those links and I'll show you with my own personal journey as I get started in this study. But want to thank you, Don, for your time and insight. And want to thank you for listening. And this has been the Principles of Performance podcast. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the Principles of Performance podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, please like and share on your social media outlets as well as subscribe and give us a review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your preferred platform is to listen to. For more information on the Principles of Program Design courses and workshops, visit us at www.principlesofprogramdesign.com and follow us on all of the social media channels where we post new content every day. To save 10% on any PPD courses, enter the discount code PRINCIPLESPODCAST10 at checkout. If you have any questions we can answer or suggestions for the show, you can email us at info at or message us on social media. 
thank you again for your support.